Hi everyone, WD here. Today, I'll be interviewing Guillaume Levy Lambert. He graduated at the age of 20 from one of the most prestigious universities in France, HEC Paris. He became a banker in New York, then moved on to join the communications industry as regional CEO of Publicist in East Asia, before becoming a full-time art collector in Singapore. You are now involved in the art world in Singapore, but you started your career after you graduated from a business school in France. Could you tell us what a business school is like there? Well, I can tell you what a business school was like a long time ago. So I was in a school called HEC. I was there from 1979 to 1982. So, you know, that's, that's not a real long time ago. Uh, and of course, the certain things have changed. Uh, certain things remain the same, and of course, business schools are still around. Uh, but you know, they've evolved; they've become uh, bigger, they've become even more international. I mean, I should say, was already very international in my time. So, my last year, which was the year of specialization, uh, where we had what was called majors, I, I did it as an exchange student in two business schools uh, around the world. One was. Uh, uh, NYU, New York University's uh, Stern Graduate Business School, and then I was for another semester in a great business school in Spain called ESADE in Barcelona. Uh, so it was already pretty international, but it's even more so today. So the proportion of uh, non-French students in a school like HSA has increased tremendously. And my, my experience was fantastic in the sense that uh, I made a group of friends that are lifelong friends. So. What a lot of people uh, say is one of the big benefits the network it gives you. Um, so it's true. Um, a number of important moments in my life, uh, I owe them to um, friends or contacts that I developed at the school. After graduating, you became a banker for BNP Paribas and you worked in New York, Hong Kong, and then you decided to work in the communications industry. Why did you decide to change your career? So I, I worked for uh, what was then Paribas, now being Paribas, uh, in total for more than 13 years, always in the uh, asset management uh, business, asset management and private banking. Uh, and I really thought I'd be in the bank for all my working life. Uh, I like the bank. The bank liked me. Uh, I was given uh, major opportunities early on, and I think I managed them well. And was given, uh, you know, succession of ever bigger opportunities. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, being uh, at some point in charge of our, uh, the new business of Paris Asset Management, and, but most of the time in Asia. So I was instrumental in starting our office in Tokyo. Um, was for four years during what was called the bubble years and then I was in Hong Kong uh, for another four years and I, and I moved to Singapore heading the asset management and private banking business of the bank in Asia and I was in my early 30s so I thought and everybody around me that I'd be there for a long time and uh, I was kind of fantasizing with the idea of uh, you know having a big job in Paris uh, in the headquarters of the bank one day. Uh, it was really sudden. Uh, in 
the summer of 1996, I, uh, as I was visiting a couple of clients in Singapore, together with a colleague of mine visiting from London, my, my colleague started talking to the clients about an extraordinary opportunity to invest in uh, German bonds, in three-year German bonds. Uh, and he explained that there was this differential between uh, three-year yields in Deutschmark bonds and short-term uh, interest rates, three-month interest rate. And he, and he was looking at the client in the eye, and with his hand he uh, showed like a, a, the shape of a, wa of a wave uh, and said, well, you know, that's the German yield curve. And I remember observing this and thinking, oh, I don't know what's the shape of the German yield curve, and it doesn't turn me on. And like almost instantly, I felt, oh, I'm not where I should be. This is when the process of deciding to leave the bank started, and uh, I immediately asked myself, in which industry could I be as passionate as this uh, colleague? And I had the intuition of advertising. Uh, solely because I always enjoyed great cinema advertising uh, for its entertainment value. You know, I love to go to the movie theaters. Uh, I mean, again, sorry, I'm speaking about, you know, a uh, uh, long time ago where um, there were great ads which were like these short um, films. I mean, of course, we still have them in cinemas. Uh, uh, but now these ads, you can find them on YouTube, you can, you know, they're easy to watch. In those days, if you wanted to watch the ad again, well, you just went to the cinema the following week to watch another movie, making sure you're not uh, late so you could, you know, see those ads. So I thought, that's what I want to do. Yeah, there I went looking for a job in, in advertising with zero experience. And I was really uh, blessed with... Uh, with a fantastic opportunity. So I left the bank on Friday night and the Monday morning started with uh, an advertising company, an advertising group, it's, uh, French as well, it's called Publicis. You know, it took almost a year, um, a, bit less, a bit less than a year, maybe 10 months between uh, that meeting at the client with the German yield curve and that Monday morning starting at Publicis. And, and mind you, my, my, my first job there was uh, CEO for Asia Pacific, my first and only job. So I, I you know, I did this for ten years. So I was uh, really uh, lucky and fortunate to be entrusted with a big responsibility from day one. And what were the main difficulties that you came across when working in Asia? So when I joined PBCs uh, as its Asia chairman and CEO. Uh, that's uh, June 97, I had just turned 35. By then, I'd already been in Asia for about 11 years. Uh, you know, in between Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Singapore. Uh, of course, now we're 25, almost 25 years later, so, you know, I have so much more experience of the, of the region. So, First, I've been now in Asia far longer than anywhere else in the world. Uh, I started with Japan. I moved to Japan uh, in 1986 as a young expat for the bank. I was 24. Uh, 
and there was a little bit like landing on the moon. I mean, it felt uh, quite alien. If you've seen the movie Lost in Translation, which I think is, you know, is a classic, you get a little bit of the, uh, actually quite precisely what I went through. There's a scene, scene in Lost in Translation where the, the, the main character, you see him in Tokyo, um, he's looking at the city and he's wondering, what is this and where is this? And, you know, it feels so different. And maybe there's a bit of jet lag because maybe he's just arrived from the U.S. And I, so I've been there, done that. When I, you know, first landed in Tokyo, which was a year before moving there, um, on, a, on a business trip, I... I was not ready for um, how different everything was. So, of course, now with the wonderful experience I've had and the benefit of time and friendships, uh, what looked alien and different feels uh, natural and comfortable. <laughs> Sometimes it can be when I'm uh, back in Paris or visiting New York that I feel uh, alien. What I think has been the most um, interesting learning in those early years, at least, was about uh, communication. So one of the things I learned is the importance of silence in Japanese. And this is a universal uh, lesson of communication. Uh, sometimes uh, you can take a little bit of time between one word and the next, and you can give time for the uh, listener to uh, think about what's being said. Uh, but in, in the business negotiation, the silence can mean, oh, I'm really interested in what you just said, but I don't want to show my enthusiasm, and let me think how to respond. Or it can mean, no way we're going to do what you suggest. Uh, and it's always... Um, interesting, sometimes challenging to interpret the silence and to see how to break the silence, who breaks the silence first. After working for a publicist, you turned to the art world? Well, at first I was lucky to be born in a family where art was important. My grandmother, my maternal grandmother, had been an artist and uh, was taken to the Louvre and a toddler. Uh, whenever we would travel uh, within France with my parents. We would take some you know, road trips uh, during holidays in, in France. We would stop in museums and sometimes visit antique dealers. So from a young age, I was exposed to art and it was always something natural for me to visit uh, museums, even as a young adult. Uh, and also even to I mean, collecting felt like something uh, natural. So when I was... Uh, about 21 years old, I was in Montreal, in Canada, doing my national service for France in a special program. And this is when I bought my first painting. Uh, big, really colorful canvas. It's called Volcan, Volcano. Uh, it's been painted by a friend of mine. And this is when my, my collecting journey started. A few years later, uh, when I was a young banker in Japan, I started collecting works by a uh, by another friend, a Belgian artist called uh, uh, P2, Pete Altenlo, and I hang uh, quite a few of his works in my uh, apartment uh, near Omotesando in the center of Tokyo. 
and I, you know, I entertain regularly um, uh, other young friends, and quickly they were all asking me, uh, you know, who's this artist, and can we have paintings as well? So I started uh, as a hobby uh, while in Tokyo, organizing a few art exhibitions. Really, from uh, young, uh, art was important to me. About twenty. Two years ago now, in the summer of 1999, so at that time I was you know, already in Singapore for about four years, I've been with Publicis for about two years, and this is when I met um, my life partner, Mark, and we had this uh, absolutely extraordinary encounter with a painting in Los Angeles. And that, that's certainly uh, a you know, life-changing encounter it accelerated my journey as a collector so following that encounter uh, Mark and I decided that we would collect seriously together I'd always collected uh, uh, a little bit like a, an amateur and also I went on a quest to understand you know how this encounter with the painting could happen and so I played detective and over, over the years that followed I met uh, everybody that was involved with the painting uh, so what happened in terms of changing careers is um, just after joining Publicis, a few months later, I realized that what I'd just done, which is uh, you know, a 90-degree change in career, uh, overnight leaving the bank and starting in the communications business, I realized it was so exciting. I mean, I, the fact that I had made up my mind that I wanted out of the bank and wanted in the communications business, and that I had managed to uh, identify the career opportunity and to uh, have such a smooth uh, transition, uh, I thought it was so exciting that I felt I wanted to go through this experience again at least one more time in my professional life. So it took 10 years before I felt the time was ripe for me to leave the, the world of advertising. And I felt the time was right because uh, my, my task was to set up uh, and manage the uh, advertising network in Asia. Uh, so when I, when I joined PBCs, it was uh, largely a European agency, uh, and I was part of the team that made it uh, an international network. Uh, so 10 years later, I felt that task was uh, uh, in, in well, well advanced and that... Uh, some of the people I had hired or contributed to hire were uh, ready to take over and perhaps do a better job than I, uh, I would have because they, they had uh, uh, an experience of advertising as a business that I, I didn't have. Actually, I was really keen to create myself, to create ads. Uh, and that was not my job. My job was to uh, buy agencies and transform them into a network, in, uh, you know, something like... Uh, 18 countries in the region. In fact, what I now realize is that was uh, the, the, the real uh, voice inside me was not about creating ads. It was the artist in me that was uh, sort of uh, knocking the door. Uh, and I, I realized that I was an artist only um, yeah, at the time I, uh, I was leaving the, the world, the corporate world, the world of advertising. Uh, and that came through um, with the willingness to share 
the calendar story. Uh, so uh, that story had become uh, much bigger by then, and you know, I wanted to share that story, and I wanted to share it as an artist. And would you have any advice, finally, for young graduates who would want to start a business in Singapore? Well, Singapore is a wonderful place to uh, live and to do business in. So now I'm a little uh, entrepreneur with, you know, my art gallery uh, is called uh, Art Porters. The website is uh, artporters.com. So it's an easy place to do business. It's easy to incorporate a company. Uh, the rules are simple and clear. Uh, yeah, no, my advice is go for it. Uh, we, we are seeing now, and it's extraordinary for your generation, we're seeing an explosion of... Uh, creativity and innovation and progress in many fields. So if you have um, an idea, if you have a frustration about something that could be made better, go, go for it and get started. Well, thank you very much for this interview, Guillaume. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I hope to meet you uh, soon. And thank you for reaching out. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Big World for a Small Island. To watch Guillaume's TEDx episode documenting divine providence, click the link in the description. See you!